do that tonight, starting in the book of Colossians. I like the book of Colossians. How many of you know anything about the city that this letter was written to? Anybody know anything? Not many. You know why? Because if this letter was never written to them, we'd probably know nothing about these, this city. It was, not a, it was not a big city when Paul wrote to them. It used to be a bigger city. It kind of had gone down in dominance. In fact, Naomi, would you bring up that, that image if you could? Uh, the map of, of Asia Minor. And uh, I realize that bringing up a map like this is for some, some people, especially the distance you are from the screen, sometimes it's just like bringing up uh, you know, something in Greek and saying, see, now do you understand? That you know, doesn't, doesn't make it that much clearer. But let me just show you. Uh, see where it says Asia right here? The Asia Minor. Uh, this, this area is now all pretty much Turkey. Uh, but that's... That's where you'd find the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Um, as if you looked over here into the yellow, that's Greece. So the northern Greece was Macedonia. The southern Greece was Achaia. And then over here, you've got Judea, you've got Jerusalem, you've got Samaria, you've got up there Antioch, the great church in Antioch. And so the churches in Asia Minor um, became predominant, especially as the, as the church grew, the early church grew. And... Colossae uh, had a letter written to them not because they were a big church or a big city, but because some things were going on that needed correcting. When the Apostle Paul wrote this book, uh, we can't, it, it would seem by what he says that he had never actually visited this place. What we believe is that Epaphras, who was one of the believers at Ephesus, um, took the gospel that the Apostle Paul was preaching and spread it over here to Colossae. How many of you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about in the book of Acts when Paul was preaching in Ephesus at the school of Tyrannus and as he was preaching it said that uh, other people heard and it said the gospel spread throughout all of Asia. Well, this is one of the first cities that probably hit so close. And uh, you'll remember uh, Laodicea is right north of there. Laodicea was where uh, Jesus said you're, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. Well, you remember, and uh, Brother Burke taught this when he was here, uh, but you remember that at Hierapolis, which is just above Laodicea there, that's where the hot water would come from. The cool water, uh, many scholars believe, actually was coming from Colossae, and the hot and the cool met in Laodicea. And so this is not a huge, important city. You don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. You see it right here in this letter, but this is a huge, important letter. Huge. And I want to tell you, because if you've ever read Colossians and Ephesians together, have you ever noticed how alike they are? So much so that in the King James Bible, you'll read a verse that you don't read in the New American Standard. And you go, not a whole verse, but some words that aren't there in both versions. You'll say, why is this here? Well, some of the King James scholars uh, read the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians together. And if the Apostle Paul said something in Ephesians that sounded a lot like he said in Colossians, there were some cases where they filled in the blank and said, well, I guess we just missed part of it because he says the whole thing in Ephesians. Let's add it here in the book of Colossians or vice versa. Um, so there's so much alike and there's a reason for that. They were written probably at the same time, probably sent by the same messenger. And one of the reasons that the book of Colossians was written, the letter to the church in Colossae, was that they had had some really bad teaching. We all know what that's like. And how many of us would prefer to get a letter rather than somebody coming for a visit? Depending on who's coming, right? 
uh, if you can read the, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he had some people saying, you know, when he comes here, he's real nice. When he writes a letter, he's real bold, but when he comes here, he's real timid. And so maybe you would have liked a visit from the Apostle Paul rather than a letter. But this letter has stood the test of time, has now uh, become part of the canon of Scripture. We know it is the inspired Word of God. Even though we tell you Paul wrote it, and Paul did write it, God used him to write it. We know that the Holy Spirit spoke the words that needed to be written on that page. And I'll tell you, here, here's how you know it's proof. Here's one of the ways you can know that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that even though he was writing about a specific problem in his day and age, we still find so many applications today out of that same thing. You see, if I were to write to you a letter right now that was dealing with a specific problem and I was just addressing that problem alone, you might say, well, that letter only applies to this problem. But when you're speaking by the Holy Spirit, I mean, it... it you can, you can apply it to so many things that, that that truth is truth no matter where you put it. And so you see, he doesn't just address the issue and the heresy that they had in the church by just coming against stuff. No, instead, he preaches the truth about Jesus. And that's, that's kind of the, the two things that are similar about Ephesians and Colossians. That's where they get a little bit different. Is that Ephesians is very much about the believer being in Christ. It's very much about the church, but it's also about the believer and his position in Christ. Colossians is very much about Christ in you. And both are valuable, right? You guys are saved. You know that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm in him in heavenly places. You know that. That's important. But also in the book of Colossians, we find out Christ is in us the hope of glory. That the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus. That everything God was, was in Jesus. And then it says, and in Him, you've been made full. So you're full of all these good things that God has for you. You're full of His nature, full of His divine presence, full of all these things. So we're going to have fun in the next few weeks going over the book of Colossians on Wednesday nights. And so we're going to start with Colossians 1, which is a good place to start, right? We're going to go to Colossians 1 and verse 1. Now, realize we talked from Colossians 1 like a month ago. It hasn't been a long time. So you may hear something you've heard before, and that only means you should get more out of it this time than you did last time. Because it's the Word of God, right? I've been reading this book since I was a little kid, and every time I open it, I, I realize something that I just didn't realize before. It, it clicks in a new way. I, I never get bored with it, and nor should any of us. So you can't hear enough of this. In Colossians 1, it's signed. Remember, we talked about this before. The, the book was signed at the beginning rather than the end, and it's signed by the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's the only way you get to be an apostle. That's the only way you get to be anything in the body of Christ is by the will of God. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Timothy gets the byline. He gets to be a co-author. I don't know if Timothy ever spoke up and said, add this, add this. But Paul includes him, says this is a letter from the two of us. <laughs> to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God. Now, who do you think we might be? That's probably Paul and Timothy, right? And all his buddies. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, if you ever go through these New Testament letters, it's amazing to see how many times he says, we don't stop praying for you guys. And it's not just one church. It's lots of churches. 
Now, how many of you believe that the Holy Spirit would allow in the Holy Scriptures for Paul to exaggerate or lie to a church? You think that'd be allowed? You think that'd be kosher? No. That's not cool. You don't get to lie, period, but you especially don't get to lie in Scripture. And, and, and the Apostle Paul was not lying when he said, I'm always praying for you guys. I pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that every moment of every day he was always praying for them, but it means that there was never a break in his praying for them. I imagine he mentioned them every day, or if not every day, that they were consistently brought up in his prayers. And he doesn't just pray for them. He gives thanks for them. And you see that a lot in the letters. I give thanks to you. I thank God for you every time I think of you, he says to another church. Now, do you realize that the Apostle Paul knows these people? He may not know everybody in the church in Colossae because he's not been there, but he's heard some things about them. In fact, this letter was written to correct some serious issues. And yet he's giving thanks. You don't just give thanks for perfect people or else you'd never give thanks at all. This is a, a skill. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight because it's not really what the letter's about. But can I just say it is a, a spiritual discipline to be able to give thanks for people that, that really you're, you're naturally not that thankful for, that, that you're not really happy about. Sometimes do things that don't make you too happy, but you just, every time you think of them, you thank God for them, even if they're not doing everything right. This is a good thing because the more you do that, the more God corrects your heart towards them and the more you can love them with a sincere heart instead of having to put on a fake smile at church. And we really want to get over the fake smile at church phase of our life, don't we? You don't want to just show up and shake somebody's hand and go, seriously, man, I just wish you'd gone the other way when they said shake somebody's hand. It, it, it is possible for you to love somebody and be thankful for them even when they're doing something wrong, even doing something against you. Be thankful for them. And, and thank God for them. And, and, you know, with a thankful heart, God's able to work and, and, and change some things. And it says, we're praying always for you since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you've had for all the saints. You see, he hadn't actually been there as far as we know. So he's just hearing about them. He's hearing that there's love that they have. He's hearing about their faith. And he says it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Do you see that? What they have is faith in Christ Jesus, and they have love for each other. But that comes from the hope that they have laid up for them. That they're, and, and I'm not just saying a hope like a wish, like a Disney wish. I'm talking about hope as in a sincere knowledge that they are born again, they are saved, and they are called to a heavenly calling. And because of this hope, it's, it's producing love in them. It's producing faith in them. And it says, of what you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as it is in all the world, also it's consistently bearing fruit and increasing. So what's bearing fruit? Does he say you're bearing fruit? No, but they are. But what he says here, what's bearing fruit? It says it's the gospel. It's the gospel that's bearing fruit. It says it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. That's what the gospel is meant to do. It's meant, to, it's meant to, to produce fruit in people's lives, in churches, in cities, and it's meant to be constantly increasing. The only time the gospel stops increasing is when we stop believing it's the gospel. When you don't think it's good news anymore, you're timid about sharing it. You're timid about sharing things that, uh, that aren't that good of news. You don't want to be the bearer of bad news, do you? You don't want to be the bearer of boring news. 
In our society, that's almost as bad. We want to have something exciting to tell people. When something cool happens and we see it on the news, we want to be the first to tell everybody. Well, when the gospel is fresh to you and it's as good as it's ever been and you know it's the good news that Jesus came down to reconcile you back to the life-giving force that is God, the, 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 the creator of all the universe, that you can be brought back together, that He's not counting your trespasses against you, but He's bringing you near back to the place you were created to be, that's really good news. And when you believe it's good news, you get excited about telling people because nobody's timid about sharing good news. We've said this, I don't know if I've said this, if I've said it once, I've said it, you know, 15, 20 times. But if I told you that you could tell everybody in Lloyd that they want a million dollars and you'd be truthful that I was going to give a million dollars to everybody in Lloydminster and you got to be the one to call them, you wouldn't say, oh, that sounds like such a chore. I don't want to do that. Oh, what if they're mad at me when I call? What if they're annoyed? What if they're in the middle of dinner? You wouldn't care. You're giving them a million dollars. Everybody's happy. And so the same way when we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's meant to increase and it will bear fruit. It's the gospel that will produce the fruit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. You're the vessel of that. You're the branch that uh, must be connected to the vine. Here's what he says. Even as it has been doing in the in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So understanding the grace of God in truth is a big key to the gospel increasing and bearing fruit in your life. Understanding the grace of God in truth. Not just having some weird concept of it, but really from the Bible, understanding God's grace toward you, God's grace in you, His power in your life, His ability through you, His strength when you are weak, He's strong. When you understand these things and understand that you are saved by His power, you're righteous by His power, you're loved because of Him, you realize all these things, it starts to produce things in you. It says this, it says, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it's been doing in you since the day you've heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now I imagine this church must have been doing something right for the news of their love to be a talking point when Epaphras came back to Paul. Well, you say, aren't, don't all believers love each other? Well, I'm sure they do, and they should. But there must have been something special about this, that their love was so fervent, so true, so, so strong, that he heard about it and he rejoiced in it. You know, that love is a result of the gospel. It's a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you ever read 1 John, you find out that the love we have for each other is a direct relationship, direct um, result of the relationship with Jesus Christ. John even uses, in 1 John, it's, he uses it to convince them that they're saved. He, he proves their salvation by saying, look at the love in you that you didn't have before. It's proof that you've been born again. Look at the way you can love people that you wouldn't have loved before. It's because you were loved first. And this love, he said, if you ever doubt it, just look at, you, look at your life and look how different it is and check that love because that love is a direct evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we find ourselves running low on that love, find ourselves short on love, and you'll know when you are because we're not talking about the different types of love that 
that man has for a woman or that brother has for a sister or mom for, for a son. We are talking about the kind of love that Jesus had for you. It's a distinct love. It's the God kind of love. It's a love that does not demand anything. It's a love that does not require anything. It's a supernatural love. And this love, this love only comes from God. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't fake it in the world for too long without burning out. If you start to notice, here's some evidence that your love's running low. All those things that you see in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, and you're noticing those are harder and harder to do. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's patient, it's kind. You, your patience is short. You know that? <laughs> We're like talking to people, and you just, ah, they're just getting on your nerves, and they're irritating you. Ugh. We all have these conversations. We have these times in our life, and the problem is not that person because Jesus loved you when you were the most annoying, biggest jerk in the world. So the problem's not them. Because the love of God was not designed for nice people. The love of God was given to us for very bad, stupid people. Because that's what we were. And God loved us. Demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, uh, you'll know when your love becomes shorter than normal, when you start getting irritated with people for just being people and you start to get a little bit shorter on your fuse and and in the world that'd be okay but in Christ there's a love that goes beyond all of that and here's the answer if you notice this in your life what do you do do you try harder that may be your first instinct is to just try harder but you will burn out that way what you need to do is you need to realize that love is a fruit of the Spirit. And what you need to do is to stay full of the Spirit. If you notice the love starts getting short, I imagine there are other things that are getting short as well. And you get full of the Spirit. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. He is the vine. We are the branches. So when He says, I tell you all this so that you will bear fruit. If you start seeing your fruit running short, shriveling up, not being as effective as it was before. Take a look at your relationship with Jesus Christ. How much time are you spending with Him? How much are you listening to Him and obeying Him? Because He simply said, I mean, we, when we say abide, He said, abide in me and all of these things, you'll bear much fruit, abide in me. And, and you might say, well, abiding in Him is just a state of belief or a state of knowledge but he goes on to say a couple of verses later that part of abiding in his love and he says it directly and so there's no way around it there's no theological loopholes he says the one way you abide in my love is by doing what I say so hearing the voice of the spirit because we all hear the voice of the spirit how do you walk by the spirit we said this like last service how do i walk by the spirit is it by being on cloud nine all the time being in a constant daze no walking by the spirit is when the spirit says something you do it instead of when the flesh says something and you do the flesh thing and they often are talking at the same time you ever noticed that they're talking at the same time now You listen to the Spirit more, you'll hear the Spirit louder than the flesh. You feed the flesh more, you'll hear the flesh louder than the Spirit. So when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I have got two responses that want to come out of me, one response might be self-defense or or, uh, 
or, you know, anger or bitterness or all these things. Well, that's the flesh talking. The other response is love. The other response is encouragement. The other response is grace. That is the Spirit talking. I've got a choice. Which one do I tap into? When I listen to the Spirit, I'm walking by the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Now walk by the Spirit. And so he says, your love in the Spirit is what got back to us. That it's bearing fruit in your life. This love is producing a lot of things. He says this, for this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, so this must have been extraordinary, because since the day he heard of it, we have not stopped. We've not ceased to pray for you and to ask. So here's, here's his prayer. You want want a key into one of the things that he's praying. He is asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. And because there's so much packed into that little sentence, we're going to spend the rest of the night talking just about that. Because there's so much in there that, that is, a, is basically the key to the rest of your life. If you'll really understand what he's saying here, is that this is the prayer. And I think it's important that the Apostle Paul asked God for this. That, that this knowledge and understanding, this was all going to come from God. And the way he... The way the way it was expected to come into their life was that he'd ask God for it and God would graciously give it to them. Because of their love, because, you know, love is the evidence of a a spiritual maturity in your life. The more mature you are spiritually, the more love you have. I should say that the other way around. The more love you have, the proof you are more spiritually mature. Just like we talked about in 1 Corinthians 3 last week, the evidence of a spiritually mature person is love. The evidence of a spiritually immature person is bitterness and strife, divisions, factions, envy, all these things. So you want to find out if somebody's spiritually mature, don't ask them how much they know because the Pharisees knew more than anybody. A lot of people know the Bible well, some whom were atheists. The evidence of spiritual maturity in someone's life is the fruit of the Spirit in their life, specifically love. That's evidence of a spiritually mature person. So he says this. He says, going back to uh, verse 9, here's what we're praying for you, and we pray constantly for it, that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Everybody in this room wants to know what God wants for them, right? Everybody here, that's a desire of your heart. I can imagine. Now, if if that's not you, I'm sorry. But I think everybody in this room says, I want what God wants for me, and I want to know what it is. And a lot of the tension in our life is trying to figure out what God's will for our life is. And we, we struggle sometimes between those two things. And we go, I want to do this. I don't know if I should do this. What should I do? And we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God's will for our life is or doing your own thing and trying to convince yourself it was God's will. But here he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, 
Do you see the difference between being filled with the knowledge of God's will and just knowing God's will? Think about this. I have some math knowledge. But it's been so long since I've been in school that I am not filled with math knowledge. I have some. I can help you a little bit, but I can't help you a lot. I'm not filled with the knowledge of math. Now, a guy who gets his doctorate in something like mathematics, he's going to be filled with a lot more math knowledge than I am. And that makes a big difference. Sometimes we have inklings or hints of what God's will is for our life, but you know God's design for you is not that you wander around like a blind person just trying to stumble upon what His will is for you. Like you're playing some divine game of pin the tail on the donkey. Just trying to hopefully poke Hopefully, at some point, I'll pin the tail on God's will. And if not, well, hopefully, he won't be too mad at me. God wants you to be full of his will. Now, imagine if I told you, I want you to run as fast as you can to the finish line, and then just said, go. And everybody kind of stands around going, where's the finish line? And I said, just go. Somewhere in Lloydminster. Well, we're going we're gonna to be running around Lloydminster. Hopefully, he's trying to stumble upon a line. And, and I say, you know what? Every now and then, listen. You might hear a clue here and there where the finish line is. Okay. <laughs> or maybe there's a bell at the finish line. You hear ding, ding, and you kind of hear the bell, but yeah, you can't tell what direction it's coming from. I think it's that direction. You know, you're only going to go so fast. You're not going to make good time. What if I told you exactly where the finish line was? Or even better, maybe I didn't tell you where the finish line was, but I told you where the next point on your route was. Every, every, and then when you hit that, I told you, where you, told you where the next place to run was. You might not even know the finish line. You may not even got the big picture. But I say, run to this point, and I'll give you directions from there. And you know without a shadow of a doubt, and I put a map in your hand, you know everything in between you and that point, and you just go, how fast are you going to run? Fast as you can. And as long as you believe me, you're going to get there faster than everybody else. Well, the will of God is not always super clear in the big sense. You may not always know what's gonna, where am I going to be in 10 years, where am I going to be in 5 years. This was a big thing when I was a teenager, just starting to figure out what I was going to do with my life, trying to figure out what God had for me. And you know, everybody who was anybody wanted to seem like they had some wisdom to impart to you, so they always had to ask you this question, where do you see yourself in 5 years? When there were unsaved people, they'd say, because if you don't have it figured out, how are you supposed to get there? And if they were a believer, they'd try to spiritualize it by saying, oh, without vision, the people perish. Write it down. Make it clear so that the man may run, you know. And, and they make you feel guilty for not knowing where I'm supposed to be in five years. And I didn't know where I was going to be in five years. My only honest response was, in the will of God. And for some people, that's good enough, and some people, it's not. You see, when Abraham started walking, what if somebody said, where are you going to be in five years? All he could say was, promised land, where God puts me. Well, where's that, smart aleck? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> because the scripture says in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. 
Somebody may try to convince you that's not knowing the will of God, but I'm going to tell you, here's knowing the will of God. Where are you going right now? What are you doing right now? And, you know, sometimes he gives you the big picture. Sometimes you wake up and you just had this beautiful dream and you saw just a flash, an image. But you may not know how to get there. You may not have the entire blueprint. Here's, here's why. Because if you had the entire blueprint, you'd start trying to figure out how to do everything yourself. You'd, you'd try to make that happen on your own time. But here's what we do. We walk by faith, not by sight. If we saw everything, it wouldn't be faith anymore. So being filled with the knowledge of His will doesn't mean you know everything in your future. But it means that you make decisions without regret, knowing that you're doing the right thing. You can make decisions knowing you're in the will of God. God will give you enough information so that you don't blindly wander around. Jesus said, here's the difference. I'm not going to call you a slave anymore because a slave does not know what his master is doing. And you're not a slave. I'm going to call you my friend. The implication being that now that we're a friend, he's going to tell us things. He goes on to say, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit, everything he hears, he will disclose to you. And the Holy Spirit's there hanging out with Jesus and the Father. And everything he hears, he discloses. Thank God. Thank God he doesn't, he doesn't disclose it all at once or your head would explode. Literally explode. I'm not being figurative. I'm pretty sure if you knew everything God knew, you would die. You'd be like Enoch. Enoch just taken away. For you. He just was no more because you just got too close. You can't handle everything God knows. Your brain's not that big. But you can be full of the knowledge of His will. 1 Corinthians 2. We read it last week. Things that eye has not, not seen, ears not heard. No heart is even understood. The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. It says no one knows the heart of a man but the spirit of a man. Even so, no one knows the heart of God but the spirit of God. But we've received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is from God. Searches out even the depths of God so that we may know. We may know. Not we may have a clue. Not we may have a hint. But we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak. So here's the deal. You can know and be assured that you're walking in the will of God. You may not know exactly what it's going to look like in 15 years, but you can be sure right now I'm in the will of God. You can be sure that tomorrow I'll know what to do. The day after that, I'll know what to do. And sometimes he gives you that in advance, and sometimes he says, just start walking. To Philip, he says, start walking down this road. It's a 50-mile road. And the scripture says, in a somewhat ominous way, it says, and this was a desert road. Just to freak you out. He doesn't say, Philip, 5.1 miles under that road, you're going to run into a chariot. He just says, start walking on this road. A desert road, full of burglars. Can't tell you there's going to be any water. Well, God, how long am I going to walk? I'm not telling you, just start walking. And so he does. He starts walking. All of a sudden, a black guy goes by on a chariot. I say black guy because he's Ethiopian, not because he's riding a chariot. (laughs) 
So he sees this guy going, and immediately the Spirit of God says, run, says, go catch that chariot, go, go get it. And all Philip says is he runs, he doesn't know why. The Holy Spirit doesn't give him the whole plan for what's going to happen. He just says, catch the chariot. Now, how many of us will do this? God says to you, start walking on that road. Where? On that road. How far? Just walk on the road. But no, I want to know how, because I need to know what shoes to wear. Well, <laughs> well just act like you're going to go the whole way. But should I bring a backpack with snacks in it, or should I just expect manna? Can you give me a clue? Here's what I do, God. God, I want to ask you, I'm going to just suggest things, and you nod if I'm right. If I'm getting close, can we do hot and cold? Hot, cold. Can we do that? And No, it just says walk on the road. Okay, well, God, that's not much of a plan. I have a family to take care of. God, I've got a job. I can't just start walking down roads <laughs> blindly like an idiot. I mean, am I supposed to hitchhike? What am I supposed to do? Just walk down the road. Okay, well, you know, by the time we finish arguing, it's dark now and the guy's gone. We just so you just start walking. Okay, well, say you were so full of faith, you actually were like Philip, and you actually started walking down that road like a fool, not knowing where you're going. And everybody that stops you and says, hey there, traveler, where are you going? Mm, on the road. <laughs> well, obviously, we're all on the road, but where on the road are you going? I don't know. Where are you going to stop? I'm not stopping until he tells me to stop. Who tells you to stop? Well, an angel. Okay, okay. All right, well. You go talk to your angels. We're going to actually go over here. Or maybe you were so full of faith like Philip, that's what you did. You started walking on the road. But, you know, when God told you to walk on the road, he, he showed you an angel. So you got to see something. That gave you a little bit of faith because not every day do I see an angel. All right, angel, I'll do what you say. So you start walking down the road. But this time, an angel doesn't tell you to catch a chariot. The Holy Spirit tells you to catch a chariot. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come to you like a talking dove. He just talks right here on the inside of you. And you go, that was probably just me. <laughs> that, that could have been God, but it's probably just me. Right, because your natural instinct is to go run and catch chariots. <laughs> we laugh, but we all do this in the mall, don't we? Go pray for that person. Is that just me or is that God? Because before you got born again, you just had an urge to go pray for people. That's just your natural reaction. Most of us are not the kind of people that just are like, I want to smack my hand on someone and mumble words. We, 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 we don't do that naturally. Well, what if it was the devil? Yeah, the devil wants you to pray for people, right? He changed his plan. He's sneaky that way. No, it's God. You know it's God. You knew right from the very beginning it's God. Most of the time when people come to me and go, I don't know if this is God or not, they know. You just want that fleece that you lay out. I want someone else to tell me it is. Not everything you think is God is God. I can tell you that. But most of those things where it's, the Word already has told you to do it, and you, know, you would not have come up with this any other way, come on, guys, it's God. And if you doubt it, Go to prayer, and if while praying it becomes stronger in you, that's a pretty good idea that it was God. If while praying it starts to fade from your mind, probably was just a thought. But sometimes you don't have time to do all of that. 
And Philip is walking. God gave him an angel last time, but this time he just speaks to his spirit and says, catch that chariot. The man in the chariot is not of the same race as him, is not of the same class as him, and is barely of the same gender as him. He catches that chariot anyways, and God sets up this meeting. Whereas you know the story, the man says, I've been reading this. If only there was someone to explain it to me. Philip says, I can do that. He says, who's this man talking about, himself or someone else? He says, he's talking about Jesus. I mean, it just seems like a t- just a teed up, uh, just, just, just so simple, like God just set it up for him. But in order for that to happen, he first had to just trust the unseen and start going. So if we're talking about being filled with the knowledge of his will, there are going to be times where you don't have the full bl- blueprint, but you're, you are able to know this is God's will and this isn't. And he says, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. Those are so important, aren't they? In all wisdom. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I, I misquoted that. It says all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, the issue is, The knowledge of God's will. God's will doesn't make sense with the natural mind. We read it last week. The wisdom of God is foolishness. So you have to have spiritual wisdom. Here's an example in the Bible. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to go to Rome. And, uh, or sorry, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. You know, and he's with the, the group of people. He's going to Jerusalem. He's eventually going to go to Rome. God's told him he's going to go to Rome. The other thing that the Holy Spirit told him was this. When you go, you're going to have to put up with some hardships. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be thrown in prison. And he prepared him for it. He says, I'll be with you the whole time. Paul is with the church and the prophet Agabus comes up to him. And he binds his hands. He takes, he takes Paul's belt away and he wraps it around Paul's hands. And he says, in the same way that I just did that to you, so they're going to bind your hands and take you somewhere and you're not going to get to choose where. You're going to be a prisoner if you go. Well, that's the word from the Lord, isn't it? God said it, didn't he? But when the church heard it, they said, See, Paul, you're not supposed to go. You see, what did God say? God said, if you go, you'll be bound. You'll be taken prisoner. Did God say not to go? He just said, you'll be bound if you go. Well, they hear that through their filter and through their ears and say, that means you're not supposed to go. Well, the Apostle Paul had to assure them, no, I I am supposed to go. I've been given clear instruction that he's already prepared me. He's told me that was going to happen. And so they ended the conversation, they stopped arguing and said, okay, the will of the Lord be done. So it's one thing to know the will of God, it's another thing to spiritually interpret it. Another another instance where Agabus shows up, and I know, I know you're all writing that name down in case you have a son or a grandson, and you you say Aggie is Agabus, we can call him Aggie, we can call him, you know, Gabe, this is going to be perfect. Oh, Agabus is the perfect name, I know that. But the other time he shows up, the other time he shows up, he prophesies that there's going to be a famine throughout the whole land. Right? 
Now, he says, in fact, over the whole world, there'll be a famine. When God told Joseph there was going to be a famine, what did God tell him to do? Store up. And when there was famine, you'd have more than enough. Right? So if they just went to their Bibles and said, the last time God said this is what we're supposed to do. But, this is the church in Antioch. He said there's going to be a famine over the whole world. The whole world includes Antioch, doesn't it? So if God told us this, there's going to be a famine over the whole world, your first instinct is to say, okay, store up like a chipmunk. Just, just stop spending so much. Let's save up so we're ready for the famine. But instead, they heard that prophecy through the filter of spiritual wisdom and understanding. And they, they knew what God wanted them to do was not just save up, but they were to take up an offering. The opposite of saving is giving. And so they actually gave. There's a famine. Let's get rid of our money. Does that make sense to you? But it made sense to them because they not only, I mean, it took, it took the Holy Spirit for a man to prophesy, but it also took the Holy Spirit for people to understand what they were supposed to do with that prophecy. There's plenty of people that get prophesied to that don't have a clue what to do with it. And you have to have spiritual wisdom. And I encourage you, if the word of the Lord came to you at any point, could have been past meetings, could have been two weeks ago, could have been two years ago, you get that copy of the audio, you write it down, and you pray. You say, God, show me what this means to me right now. And you don't stop until you understand. Don't just take it, don't, try to, don't take a spiritual thought and try to work it with a, the with a logical mind and say, if I were to think, what does this mean? Maybe you had a dream. What does this mean? There are books about interpreting dreams. And guys, can I tell you, it's dangerous to do that. Because the Holy Spirit, if He gave you the dream, He's able to interpret the dream. Daniel didn't memorize a bunch of combinations and symbols and then interpret something. He had no idea what they were talking about and the Holy Spirit gave him the interpretation. And one thing can mean something in one dream and something totally different in the next. And you've got to be spiritual enough to understand that. If you could have just used past symbols, the magicians and the sorcerers in Babylon would have been able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. But they weren't. In fact, same thing with Joseph. And I like the test that he uses, one of the, that the king uses. He says this. He doesn't just say, here's what I dreamed, interpret it. He says, you tell me what I dreamed, then interpret it. That's the ultimate test. <laughs> because anybody can come to you and go, I think it means. But can somebody tell you what you dreamed? Oh, my goodness. So in all of these things, God, you're going to be full of the knowledge of His will, but with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning, you'll know why God said it, you'll know what He meant when He said it, and you'll know what to do with it. God never says anything to you that He doesn't expect you to walk it out and act on it in some area. God is not anxious to hear His own speaking voice. If he tells you something, it's for a reason. Not one word of his returns to him void. A man that's had a great influence on my life, Brother David McGrew. 
said to the Lord, said, God, why do you keep prophesying to me through different people in different places and different meetings who don't know each other? Why do you keep telling me the same thing over and over again? And God said to him, David, I'm telling you this because you don't believe it like you think you do. So God, of course I believe it. He goes, not like you think you do. You don't believe it enough. And when God speaks to you, it's because you're going to need that. You're going to need what He's saying. Whether it's right now or in the near future, there's going to be a time of opportunity or the time of adversity where that word inside of you, you're going to need to believe it. So if God said this same thing to you every year, He keeps saying it to you, you've got to believe it more this time than you did the last time. Because God is not wasting His breath. There's a reason He keeps saying it to you. Sometimes we say, why didn't I get a word like they got a word? Well, maybe you're just doing the right thing. You ever thought of that? We get jealous of people that are prophesied over. Why not me? What am I doing wrong? Maybe you're doing something right. Maybe you didn't need a correction. Maybe you didn't need a little kick in the butt. You're doing okay. You're doing the last thing he told you to do. Don't feel so bad if you didn't get a word. Do you know how many times I got the same word? And I'm like, okay, okay. I'll do it this time. Quit telling me all over again. Harry goes, wasn't that wonderful? And I go, I feel like I just got spanked. I had to hear the same thing again. I know why, too. I haven't been doing it. I haven't been believing it like I should believe it. But be thankful for it and trust God that with the knowledge of his will, he's able to give you not just the knowledge of his will, but wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and understanding that we approach spiritual issues with a spiritual mind. And we think of things as spiritual people, which is crazy to everybody else, but it really is what you need to approach what God has for you and where He wants you to go. You've got to think spiritually. You've got to be used to hearing the voice of God regularly. Not necessarily audibly. Because another man who who has had great influence in my life said this to me one time. He said, when God speaks to you audibly, it's usually not a good thing. It's like you're running in the street and you shouldn't be in the street. It's a quick warning and you need to get out of there. His best way to speak to you is in the, through the Spirit, through your inner man. We all want to hear that audible voice of God, but if you're, not, if, you're, if you're walking out what He's speaking to you here, that's His best way for you. And here's what it says. Let's wrap this up. So if you're increasing... Here, here's, what, here's the deal. That when this knowledge of His will comes and the spiritual wisdom and understanding, it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This tells me when He says, so that you will walk, that you can't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord without knowing His will. This is why it's so hard for many Christians to actually walk the way they're meant to walk and do what they're meant to do because they're not taught that they can hear God. They're, not, they're taught that you can't know the will of God. They're taught that it's a, it's a mystery you'll never understand. Well, as long as you think the will of God is unknowable, you're going to be wandering around like a blind man through Lloydminster banging into buildings. You've got to know the will of God. You may not know the full, comprehensive view of it. 
You may not have the big picture, but you can at least know I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm making a decision based on what he told me to do. I bought a house because he told me to buy the house. I, I, I moved to this city because he told me to go there. I'm in this church because I'm supposed to be there. That all of these things, you shouldn't have to go through pros and cons and see which one has more pros than cons because most of the stuff in the Bible had more cons than pros when they did them. Pro. Be cool to walk on water. Con, you're going to sink, idiot. Pro, if there ever was a flood, it'd be good to have an ark. Con, it's never even rained. Con, you'll look like an idiot. Con, you're really old. Con, shouldn't you have something more productive to do with your time than build a boat for water that's never been there? There's always more cons than pros when you think about it logically. We're not supposed to go through this life with cold, hard logic. I like logic. It makes sense. But when we're talking about the things of God, you've got to hear the voice of God. And it says, when you do that, you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, every area of your life, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you're not just increasing in the knowledge of His will, but the knowledge of Him. You see, the more you walk with Him, it's just like any relationship. The more you walk with him, the better you'll know him. And we're not talking about the knowledge of God where you've memorized a lot of facts about him because there are a lot of people that have memorized all the stats and facts about their favorite sports guy, their favorite hockey player, favorite baseball player, favorite movie star, favorite band, but you can't say they know them. They just know a lot about them. God doesn't want you to just know a lot about him. He wants you to know him and increase in the knowledge of him, strengthened with all power. How much power? How, how much is left out? So that's all the, all the power. It doesn't just say all the power you need. That's like all the power he has, which would probably mean more than you need. It says strengthened with all power according to what? His glorious might. He doesn't say strength with all power according to how much you need or according to how much you can handle or according to how much the situation requires. He says according to how much he has. That's how much you get is based on how much he has, not how much you need. In fact, you'll find this throughout the New Testament that the grace he gave us was according to his great love and great kindness and riches. The, 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 the supplying of our needs is according to his riches and glory. The strength that he has for you is according to his might. He, he never gives you just what you need. He always gives you it based on what he has. And he's got a lot. It says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And this is bigger than you think it might be. We're going to close with this thought. This is way bigger than you think it might be. It's for you as a believer to keep going. You might think that that's a small thing. And I don't mean just keep going as in keep showing up at church and not defiantly yelling at the sky, I don't believe in you anymore. I'm talking about consistently growing. I'm talking about consistently loving. I'm talking about consistently seeking the will of God and never growing tired. This is a big deal, and it's all throughout the Word. And Hebrews says it's an evidence that you are His, that you endure. Proof that you've partaken with Christ is that you hold on when everybody else lets go. And steadfastness, to me, 
means you're still going as strong as you ever did before. You're still growing. This, this right here, a straight line, is not steadfastness in a believer. There's no such thing as a straight line in a believer's life. I've never seen it, not even once. You're either going uphill or you're going downhill. It's impossible to stay in the same place. Like riding a bike up a hill. You're either going up or you're going down. You are not staying in the same place. Steadfastness means you're constantly going towards the upward call of Christ Jesus. Did you notice the words he uses like growing, increasing? Increasing is steadfast. And patience doesn't just mean tolerating things. It means that you don't give up when you want to give up. The end of this thought is joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You may think in this great race that you're the one that qualifies yourself. But Jesus is the one that ultimately qualifies us and has qualified you to share in his inheritance. I like that you're called a saint here. I like that the place that you live is light. And I like that what you have is an inheritance shared with all the other saints that come from Jesus himself. This is cause for joyfully giving thanks. He's qualified you to share in his inheritance. And you know, part of that inheritance is all the things we talked about there. Everything we've talked about. If you've sat here and said, well, then I just need to try harder, by golly, you're not hearing me. Everything you need is part of your inheritance. He said, the strength you need comes from him. Joy you need, the love you need, the patience you need. These are all fruits of the Spirit. It all comes from Him. And it all comes from knowing the will of God and being able to understand it. Guys, I want to tell you, no matter how old you are, how mature you are in the faith, whether you just got saved, whether you've been saved for a long time, whether you've been saved for a long time and you haven't, you've gone backwards. Can I tell you, all of you here, none of you is too immature to know God's will for your life. If you'll ask him, if you'll listen to him, if you'll walk it out, his desire for you is that you'd be filled with that knowledge and wisdom and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding. How are they going to get that? In this case, the Apostle Paul said, I pray that you have this. This tells me that this isn't by trying harder. This isn't by something you work towards, although work diligence will be required. You can't just sit on the couch and wait for all this to happen. But the, the source of all this is he says, I'm praying for you that you be filled with this stuff. If he prayed for them, don't you think we could pray for each other for this? And do you think you could pray for yourself? Yes. I'd probably, that'd probably be the first person you should pray for. Like I've said so many times, when you get on an airplane and they tell you how to use the oxygen mask, they say if you have a small child, put the mask on yourself and then put the mask on your child. Because if you're passed out, you can't put the mask on your child. So, in the same way, before you pray for everybody else to know God's will, pray for yourself. and See God's will in your life. Guys, 
I want to tell you the happiest place you're ever going to be, the most satisfied place you're ever going to be is in the will of God. That's the best place for you. And no preacher, no prophet, no parent, no friend is a substitute for the Holy Spirit in your life. We can help. We can, we can encourage. We can teach. We can do all these things, but it's not a substitute for your relationship with Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There is no other person who can stand between you and God or should stand between you and God. The days of the Old Testament are done. I stand before you as a pastor, not as your high priest. Jesus is that high priest. So it is up to you to seek the will of God for your life. Now, will, will God use other people? Yes. Guys, many of you have been sitting in a service and something that was said in a sermon, you heard God and you knew what you were supposed to do. Sometimes somebody prophesied over you. Sometimes a friend, sometime a friend called you and told you what you needed to hear just at the right time. God uses other people. But never let that replace your position as a believer being able to walk into the throne room of God and find help. Never let that replace the fact that God said through His Spirit He wants to show you things. And who better to show you about your life than you? So trust me. I know we've all got great dreams for the big picture. Like I've said before, sometimes God gives you the big picture, but here's how you get to the big picture. You can't get to the big picture unless you know, what am I supposed to do today? What's God's will for me today? Guys, if you believe God wants you to speak to 10,000 people someday, start by speaking to who you have right now. Start by telling people at work. Start by telling people at the store. Don't expect that just someday you're magically going to be put on a stage. Why? Start where you are right now. Say, God, what now? What's my next step? Like we've said so many times, you take every step like God tells you to take that step. By the time you figure out where you are, you'll be standing in the will of God. And there are times where he'll give you glimpses of that great future. And you don't know how to get there and you don't know what it looks like. Maybe you saw a place. I can't tell you how many times this happened in my life, in, in the lives of my mom and my dad, and people I admire and respect. Sometimes they saw images of something. God gave them a picture of their future. They didn't know until they got there that this was the moment God was preparing them for. How many times did they see a picture of a place or faces? And then they get there and they go, this was the place I saw in my vision. You see, if they had just tried to go to Google Maps and try to figure it out, it would be the wrong way. Just walk it out. Walk it out. Josh got uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, right? We were all spending some time in the, soaking in the presence of God. God gave him a vision of a place that he was preaching. He saw certain foliage. He saw the wildlife. He saw the people. But he didn't know where it was. He still, you still don't know exactly where it is, do you? No. But I'm confident that when he stands in that place, and he will stand in that place, he'll look around and go, this looks familiar. I've seen this before. Kim's not in here. But her mother, in fact, mom, could you quickly just tell us that story? We're going to close. I, I'm just telling you, I just want to build your faith. As to the fact that God can show you things, but you just got to walk it out as he, as, he, as he tells you to do.